Well, I think autumn has finally arrived, hasn't it? And I got to tell you, I see this time and time again every summer. Have you ever noticed that whether you're at the beach or whether you're at your homeside pool or whether you're over at the YMCA or maybe you're in your community swimming hole, there's one of two ways that people get into the swimming pool. And some people will just kind of put their toe in the water and maybe step in gently and then finally put another foot in and they may get in ankle or knee deep or maybe they get in waist deep but they don't want to get their hair wet <laughs> or they don't want to get water in their face and then there's another type of person they're just all in from the beginning they dive right off the high dive they just jump right in from the side, they plunge in completely, and they hold nothing back, and not a part of them is dry. They're all in. And if you stop and think about it, that's the way we could kind of characterize the way some folks approach their life with God. Hedging their bet, they want to stand around the periphery. They think they might believe, but uh, they're not really sure. And then there's others that are all in to be a follower of Jesus. And these two approaches, I find, largely characterize the way people approach the life of discipleship. They're either partly in or they're utterly in. And so we're in a new sermon series here all month long focused in on these five healthy habits of what it means to live out our Christian faith, and we're calling it All In. And we're challenging each and every one of you, including myself, all of us, to be wholly loyal to our Lord Jesus Christ. And we're to be all in when it comes to our faith life. Now, when you unite with our church here at Faith Community, we challenge you to that vow, those five core tenets of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. We challenge you to support the church by our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness. And these are five healthy habits that are vital to the life of every Christian disciple. And at the end of this series, we're going to ask people to recommit to those vows that you take when you become a member of our church. Today we're going to focus on witness. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about this or not, but why do you suppose God created a world in which that he doesn't take you to heaven the moment you become a believer? I mean, why isn't it that once you get across the finish line, if you were to think that way, and you give your life to God, why is it that Jesus doesn't just take you right then into heaven. Heaven, as you know, is a perfect place for a prepared people and everything, almost everything that you can do here, it seems to me, you're going to be able to do in heaven, uh, but it will be perfect there. You're going to be able to sing. Uh, you know, you're going to be able to love God. You're going to be able to pray. You're going to be able to eat. It says that one of these days we're going to have this great marriage Supper of the Lamb, we're going to get together. It seems to me, as you think about it, at least there are two things that you're not going to be able to do in heaven. One is you're not going to be able to sin, but a second is you're not going to need to witness. You're not going to be 
needing to witness. You know, Paul says here that we have a job to do. Now, maybe you think today that your Christian life doesn't really matter. Maybe you are one of those people that think that your vote doesn't count. Or maybe you think you just want to fly under the radar and work behind the scenes. And maybe, in large part, you believe that your life just kind of goes unnoticed. But Paul here begs to differ about that in this text before us. He says it does matter and that you are needed, you are noticed, and you are necessary in this world. In fact, Paul says as a disciple, you should be shining as a light in this dark world. And this morning, we're going to talk about that light. Now, light, as you know, has an interesting uh, characteristic. It's, it's very interesting and it's special to God because God's first spoken words in this world were let there be light. This is the first thing that God created and he made light to be a special thing with special properties and when a star dies we're told its light can shine on and travel for years. And Paul says here in verse 15 of chapter 2, he says, In the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, shine as lights in this world. I like how Eugene Peterson, in his message version of the Bible, this paraphrase uh, of this text, verse 15, he says, Go out into the world uncorrupted, a breath of fresh air in this squalid and polluted society, and provide people with a glimpse of good living and of the living God, and carry the light-giving message in to the night. Now, this is the only reference here to a lighthouse in the Bible, here in this text. Commentators say that Paul's reference here is to the Colossus of Rhodes, which was one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. And it's a gigantic man in brass, standing about 126 feet high, and uh, through which the ships would sail literally through his legs. And he stood there on blocks of white marble and acted as a lighthouse guiding ships into the harbor. And Shakespeare refers to him in Julius Caesar there, he doth bestride the narrow world like a colossus. And the apostle scene here is set at night and it's suitable for a lighthouse. Maybe Paul there as he's in the dungeon and he is riding there maybe toward evening as he can look between the bars and he can see the glimmer of the stars kind of shining brightly in the dark. And here we find that it's interesting that he refers to us as being a light. Now it's an interesting thing if you've ever been to a lighthouse. I've been to several in my life in different places, and typically I find that these lighthouses are kind of uh, encircled by a vast amount of water. Uh, they're, they're there, by and large, built upon a rock some distance from the shore, and it has kind of this uh, a tiny island of sorts where it resides, and its light is, is, is really vastly encircled by the sea. And Paul is saying we need to be such a light in this world. And note Paul's description of the sea here. It says it's crooked. It says it's warped. It's perverse. And it's corrupt. And it stands in such contrast 
to the brightness of a light. And what a sea of darkness, he says, that we really live in. God's light is his truth. It's his holy word. And darkness is everything that is opposite of faith. Darkness is everything that's opposite of the ways of God. And there's no gray, for there's no such thing as a gray light. But with this in mind, Paul's imagery here springs uh, to life as Christians. We're to be lights and stars in this world. Now, if you love something, you normally tell others about it, don't you? People come to me all the time and they'll say, have you eaten at this restaurant? They've got the best food and the greatest service in town. The atmosphere is wonderful and they just brag all day about this special place they went. People brag about their kids. You see the bumper stickers on the back of their car. My kid is an honor roll student at such and such a school. And they tell us all the great things they do and how they pass chemistry and physics and, and how they just just sweeping right through and they're greatest on earth. People brag about their sports team. Did you know who won yesterday? They beat the tar out of those other teams and, and they're the greatest. I wonder today if you are doing the same thing about the Lord Jesus Christ. Has God changed your life? that you just cannot help but tell other people about the change that God has made in your life. We need to have that kind of passion today, friends. It seems that Christianity is on the decline in a lot of places in our world, and then it's getting darker and harder to shine as, as a light for Christ. Groups like ISIS and others are trying to extinguish that flame and hide our light under a bushel in places like Syria and the Middle East. Ideals like atheism are doing their best to put out the light of Christianity here on the globe, and it can be difficult, I realize, to be a light in today's world as God-pleasing morals are leaving our society and when it seems that there are fewer and fewer people that embrace a biblical Worldview, And even when the sea appears calm and tranquil, there can be a deep churning underneath the sea. And if you've ever been to the ocean, it can seem like it's just the way it always is, calm on the top, and they'll put up a little caution flag that today there's riptides. And there's these whirlpools, and there's these things underneath that can threaten to bring us down. You know, light indeed is an interesting property for us and this world. And its characteristics remind us that no matter how small the light source is, the light can be seen. Not only that, but another thing about a lighthouse is that it is entrusted with the light. It's amazing how a little glimmer of light from a lighthouse can go out and bring comfort to those who are out to sea. And Paul says here, shine as lights. And that's the function of a lighthouse. It's built to be a warning and a guide to others. Just as, as everything out there that doesn't know where to go, a light there provides that glimmer of hope and guiding presence in the imminent danger that is threatening. Lighthouses, you see, serve to guide ships into the harbor, to be a friend to those in need. And the implication is, is that we have a responsibility to witness to other people. We have a responsibility to guide other people to God's truth. 
There's a popular story out of the 13th century, out of the life of an Italian um, friar by the name of St. Francis of Assisi. And reportedly in his day, there was a young companion that he invited to go with him into town to be a witness. He said, we're going to go down and preach the gospel. Young man, we're going down and we're going to tell others about Jesus. And so away they went and they walked down in town. They went up and down the streets and through the alleys and the byways. They rubbed shoulders, reported that day with hundreds of people. And then they made their way back home. They'd been out for several hours But never once did they stop to preach the gospel. And the young man called him on it. He said, St. Francis, we haven't once said anything to anybody about Jesus. We haven't witnessed today. And he said, yes, we have. With their Bibles under their arms and their crosses around their neck, and the way they were living their lives, he said, we reached out to people. I want to make this point. There's one thing to be a witness. It's another thing to evangelize. And I find as I study the New Testament, there are really three distinct levels of witnessing. And first and foremost is obvious. It's proclamation. It's even what I'm doing right now. But it's by our words that we really promulgate. We We declare God's truth and God's word. But there's also a teaching that we find in the Bible that's a relational level of witnessing, of communication. Jesus demonstrated this multiple times, one of which was in John chapter 4 as he sets down on a well and he begins this relationship building with this woman and surveying her background. Another would be, for example, as he goes to the home of Zacchaeus there in Luke. 19. And he surprised the woman by the well there by asking her for a drink, and then he talked with her about her background and her spiritual needs and conditions. And likewise, he called for Zacchaeus to come down out of that tree, and he went to his home for dinner that day, risking being associated with a questionable individual. But Jesus, in this level, built relationships. He built a relationship. He built a bridge. But there's a third level of witnessing we find, and it's incarnational, as we see played out in John chapter 1 and verse 14, where the word becomes flesh. And we read here in this text, in Philippians chapter 2, which some people claim it's the greatest of all the texts, where it talks about Jesus' incarnation, how though he was God, he did not claim his rights, but he became a human being. He lived among us, humbled himself further to become a servant, and then a sacrifice. And then fleshing out here of the gospel is what it means by an incarnational witness. Our life itself carries with it the content of the gospel. In other words, we don't talk about love, we love. We don't talk about forgiveness, we forgive. We don't talk about bearing fruit, we manifest the fruit in our life. A person with these qualities carries the gospel message wherever they go. And I find these three levels really require an increasing amount of maturity. Think about it. And that is it takes less maturity simply to get up and speak. 
It takes less maturity than just to share words of the gospel than it does to build relationships with other people and even more to live out the gospel, stand firm on God's word in a dark world. And when you're a witness, you'll be most effective if, in fact, the reverse order is done for first living the gospel and then building relationships will afford you earning the right to be heard. Now, John Grisham wrote that book, maybe even heard it, not heard about it, A Time to Kill. And when it came out, it only sold about three, four, five thousand copies. In fact, many call it a flop. Uh, nobody really reviewed it. It didn't have any advertising with it. But it was a flop by many accounts. And not long after that, he wrote another book called The Firm. And again, there was no advertising about it, no marketing campaign. It was hardly reviewed, and the reviews I saw about it weren't very good. But people read it, and they liked it, and reportedly they told other people that they liked it. I just read a book called The Firm, and you know what? It went on to sell 7 million copies plus. And he's written several other books, and at one point he had the number one paperback, followed by the number two paperback bestseller, the number three paperback bestseller, and the number one hard copy. That had never happened before. And it wasn't because of any marketing scheme or any great promotional or publicity stunt, but because somebody liked the book. Somebody said, this book really speaks to me, and they told somebody else, and they told somebody else they liked the book. They told other people until millions of people bought the book. I wonder today if the Bible has changed your life. I wonder today if the Lord Jesus Christ has truly changed your life. We disciples are people who love Christ, speak about the change that he has brought, the impact that he has had in our walk through this life. We've experienced God, and so we must tell somebody. And it doesn't take a newspaper ad to do that, or it doesn't take a review on a blog or in a magazine. It's people who love Jesus and have experienced God to such a degree that they live it out. We have a person that's lived it out. And I want you to watch another clip today. A person by the name of Tom Pierce who's witnessing for God. Let's watch. Good morning. My name is Tom Pierce, and I'm as surprised as you are to be sitting here today. A year ago, there's no way in the world I would have ever done a video and talked about my testimony, but about a year ago, I joined a disciple group here at the church, and I'm really thrilled with the changes that I've seen, mostly in myself and my relationship with God. A year ago, I was probably considered more of a loner, and now I find it's okay to be out and be open with people, encourage people with the slightest of word or phrase. A week ago, I was at the airport fumbling around with a self-help check-in and the lady at the counter was either bored or felt sorry for me and invited me up and 
the first question she said is final destination and I, and I looked at her and I said heaven of course but not necessarily on this trip and uh, we shared a smile and at that moment I was reminded that a phrase like that is not necessarily going to change the world but it can certainly change that moment and possibly brighten someone's day. About nine months ago I was jogging at VOA and I'm not very fast and this lady passed by me and I looked up at her and I said something to the effect of nice pace or good job and about 12 minutes later she lapped me again and as she went by she yelled out I'm praying for you. Well that kind of caught me off guard and I, I stopped her and I said what did you say? And She said I'm praying for you. I said thanks I need it. And this lady actually stopped her jog and I found out later she was training for a marathon and we walked for about 10 minutes. And I haven't shared that story with very many people, but when I do, I always say that that was my version of Christ coming down to me in the form of somebody that I could recognize. Jesus was talking to me in the form of a jogger and encouraging me and my goal that day was just to encourage her. I'm enjoying this change. Uh, some of the folks at work are asking me, you know, what's different? You don't seem as grumpy anymore. And I've invited a couple people to come to church with me. In the last couple weeks, I've had three. So I, I think I'm making progress. And I, I just wanted to share that with you this morning and wish you a great day. Thanks. Folks, the testimony of the Bible and the church through the century is that every disciple shines as a light in this world. And let me say, being an extrovert isn't essential to our witness, but it's being obedient and it's extending God's love. I wonder today how bright your light really is. Shall we pray together? If you're here today and you don't feel the presence of God in your heart, maybe your light has been extinguished, maybe you need renewal today, oh God, hear our prayers as we lift up each other, one another here these moments of worship all oh, challenge us. May your spirit pierce our hearts today. Reveal to us where we stand with you. And Lord, for those here today that feel that they've never really had that that moment where they've accepted you as Savior. Oh, may this be the moment. I pray for each one here today, Lord. Pray for your tender mercies to come upon hearts. I pray for conviction. I pray, oh Lord, for those who need that fresh touch of your spirit to experience it even now. For you said today is the day of salvation. Hear our prayer, almighty God, we pray. In the name of Christ Jesus, amen.